Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dentists Who Invest, episode number 22. I think we've covered just about every aspect of dental finance that there is. Having said that, I'm sure I'll dream up more uh, over the coming weeks and months. This is an episode, it's a little bit, uh, it's not traditionally associated specifically with dentists, but I still think it is nonetheless very useful. Today's episode is going to focus on cars, and we've got someone eminently qualified to speak on that. He runs the Facebook group Turbine for us dentists who are into our cars, and his name is Neil Jaswell. How are you today, Neil? I'm very well, James. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. You have a day off today then? Perfect. Yeah, every day is a day off. Work is fun. Every day is a day off. Hey, I like that. I like that. Well, doing <laughs> if you can do what you love, then yeah, you'd never work a day in your life, they say. But presumably that means you're not a dentist any longer or you don't practice anymore. Uh, I, <laughs> no, I do a couple of days and obviously uh, do the indemnity and... Uh, just trying to get a work-life balance. I think that's sort of what COVID is teaching us a little lesson here. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that I've definitely been in the ball or the, the camp before where I just work, 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 work. And uh, almost just from the point of view of accruing as much money as I can. And definitely COVID has turned that on its head for me, as I'm sure for most people. And now I see things more in a broader sense. Well, I think, I mean, dentists tend to be going off topic a little bit. We're very academic people. And since we were little, we've always been passing exam, passing exam, passing exam. And we get to our vocation. And then we're sort of really like, well, actually, are we here to help people? Are we here to study and get further in our education? Or do we need to make money? And we do we need to make all three, really. Uh, but we sort of end up not learning anything about business and getting thrown and trying to manage our own finances and business at the age of 25. Totally. I mean, wouldn't mm-hmm. that be an important part of any university curriculum to me? Or even if it's not necessarily to do with dentistry, it would have been incredibly useful. And I suppose that's what inspired the page, really. And as well mm-hmm. as that, there's so many... How can I say people who are maybe don't have our interests at heart, who are within the finance industry? And yeah, they do want to help us. But I suppose that what comes first in their mind is how they can perpetuate business interests before anything else. And that was, yeah, that was one of the main reasons that ignited, you know, my reasons to start the group is just so that we can have an un, unadulterated wholesome way of encouraging financial discussions and spread of knowledge and hence why I got people like yourself on the show who it helps when you are a dentist as well because you see it from the inside rather than from the outside looking in and cars is something that well it's always it's a bit of a status symbol isn't it and 
it's very easy just to get the nicest car that money can buy, but is that necessarily the best decision or how can we be savvier when we're buying cars? I really don't know much about buying cars personally. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people who are listening to this podcast who will feel in the same boat as me. And that's why I thought it would be such a relevant one and an interesting one. And you've got quite a lot of experience in uh, buying and selling cars. Isn't that right, Neil? Would you just like to talk a little bit more about that? Uh, Well, not as much as some people, obviously. And there's some people (laughs) on our turbine group who, uh, you know, we bow down to their knowledge. But what I can say is that I've kind of, um, you know, I've liked cars from a young age. And, uh, you know, I've I've had quite a few. I've been lucky enough to have some nice cars and worked my way up. Um, But there is, just going back to one of your points, especially as a young dentist, you kind of, you know, maybe... You shouldn't be affected by what's around you, but we all are. And you might see people who you think are successful on Instagram, but you don't really know anybody's story, whether they've got property or Bitcoin or inheritance. So you have to kind of play your own game and not worry about your status in terms of what you have. It's more about your status as a person. You know, are you a good person? And, you know, do people respect you? Those kind of things. So what I would say is a car isn't one of the first things you should buy, although we all you know, if you love cars, as soon as you get a paycheck, you're buying a car, but which is fine. But don't overextend yourself and don't feel like you have to compete because most cars will lose you money left, right and center. So there has to be a strategy and a, and a deliberate long term plan. But, you know, James, you know, from your your uh, Facebook group, there's so many other things that you need to get your ducks in a row first before you're talking about long term investments and short term investments in cars. Well, this is it. I mean, depending on how much you know about investing, you know, to anybody who's listening as an individual, it's not just the money you spend on something that you're not necessarily going to see a return on. It's also the returns that you miss out on further down the line. And that, however much you spend on a car, the magic of compound, and that could be worth an absolute fortune many years down the line. So maybe it's just kind of trying to flip on, flip on its head what we're all indoctrinated to think in that you get out of, uh, dental school you know you get your first paycheck you go straight to the car shop get yourself a really nice car and that's the temptation and i'm not going to say i don't feel like that but the power of saving that money and maybe making a compromise on that front further down the line is absolutely massive and that's something that i'm going to flesh out a little bit later in the episode so when you're buying a car Neil, as you've mm. got a fair bit of experience in, I know that you said maybe that on the on your uh, turbine group, there's other guys who do it a lot, a lot, but I'm sure you know a lot more than the average person who's listening. Can you tell us what are your earmarks with regards to fle- picking out the honors? Let's say we have a, you know, a series, you know, kind of a, a row of dealers lining up for their mugshot. Mm. Okay. How can you tell the honest guys apart from the guys that are, you know, maybe someone to be wary of. What are your red flags? Well, I think one of the reasons actually I started Turbine, which is coming up to about seven years now, is I was looking to buy a car X amount of years ago and we'd walk into a dealership and you were lucky if they said hello to you or, you know, didn't treat you well. And we were doing a lot of, um, back in the day, Hadley Lund type dentistry, really high service levels, concierge type things. And you'd go and buy an expensive car and you still get treated, you know, really poorly. Um, and I just thought, actually, the car dealers are pretty poor as a whole. They're much better now. But generally, when we started the Turbine, they were really poor. 
And they might be nice to you when you want to buy the car, but a car really isn't just a one-time purchase. There are things that go wrong with it. There are future investments in cars to buy. Um, so I realized what I really wanted to do was find out the good guys and promote them. And it's a bit like dentists, you know, they're good and bad dentists and the good dentists deserve to succeed and we deserve to shout about them. Um, so it just started off a little bit like that of, of can we find out who these good guys are? And also as a group, which has been harder to do, but as a collective, we've got some collective buying power, whether it's through car insurance, which we're working on actually, or buying cars or fleet. And we've managed to get really people who do look after us. And it is really about recommendation and developing a relationship. It's a bit like your dentist. I think if you go from car dealer to car dealer and just trying and buying, you'll never build up the kind of relationship that gets you access to the deals, to the good cars, to the special editions. Uh, and I've got some really good um, dealer um, relationships with Aston and with Lambo and with Ferrari and Porsche. Not so much Porsche because they don't really need us. But again, that took time and effort and building up. So I would say, have a look on Turbine. There is a list of Turbine recommended dealers. And these guys have been recommended by dentists themselves over a long period of time. Um, so it is very difficult. I have been burnt. I mean, I've trusted somebody, a friend of a friend, who absolutely, you know, nearly uh, caused me a lot of trouble. So I managed to find that out. So it's not just one recommendation. Try and get a few and try and get a few over a period of time. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that there was that sort of level of rapport that you can establish with your car dealer. I just thought it was a one and yeah. done thing, but there's no harm in having some sort of relationship where you trust each other and uh, he can, he or she can recommend you, uh, you know, cars that are worthwhile or cars that are in good shape, I suppose. I've just never really thought of that before, but yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you're going to be kind. Well, you might be buying cars for 20, 30, 40 years more, James. We don't know. And it might be electric cars in 10 years' time. But still, that passion is still going to be there. People are going to be buying really interesting, unique type cars. And, you know, if you're going to be spending 100,000, 200, half a million pounds over your lifetime, it's good to develop a relationship with somebody. So that's why kind of at your age, sort of set out your store, what's your interest or what kind of cars do you like? Who can help you that? And you find with the certain dealers, they will, the guys who are the professionals, they're in it for the long term. They'll be at dealerships for a long period of time and will try and build relationships. Where the guys who are just after their commission, you, you might see them once and next month they're gone. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it makes sense that it exists. I've, I guess I just never really thought about it before. Uh, <laughs> I've only ever had one car in my life and it was when I was 22 and it was a Hyundai Coupe and I thought I was... All that basically. I thought it was the coolest car on the planet. Uh, I saved up loads to buy it. When you're that age, no, what age was I? I was more like 19. And uh, it's it's the trouble is when you're that age, it's the cost of the car, but then it's the insurance on top, and mm. it easily doubled how much I was paying for this car because it was a bit, you know, I don't even know. Yeah. Is is flash the word, or maybe it was a bit gauche because it was like bright green as well. Maybe it was a bit OTT, but at the time. <laughs> I thought I was the bee's knees. Uh, but yeah, looking back, maybe I wasn't quite as cool as I thought I was. I hope anybody who's listening doesn't drive a bright green Hyundai Coupe. I don't mean to offend anybody, but uh, this particular color of green, it was very in your face. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting one. And then after that, I've just kind of always managed without a car, really, because even though I do really like one, I just don't really want to spend the money. And I just 
think for me personally at this point, I can get to work all right without one because of where I live. So, but that's just me personally. Everybody's different, of course. How much should we be looking to spend on a car then, really? And how does that compare to our earnings? So would you, do you have a rule of thumb? Maybe uh, you earn X amount, you spend this percentage. I really don't know. Any kind of advice you can give on that? Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistuinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Well, I would generally say, uh, as we were talking about earlier, you have to get your ducks in a row. If you're living in a council house for Lamborghini, something's going wrong. So I think at your age... I mean, you know better than I do, you know, you're more into it. You have to have a spread of investments. Uh, but I would say a roof over your head is probably the best long-term investment you can make. And, and you were saying about uh, money being compounded and all that kind of thing. I made a huge mistake. I bought a Porsche Boxster in 2005, loved the car, really wanted one since uni. And I think I've paid about £50,000, which I put in cash. And I wish I'd put that on a flat, you know, um, so I loved the car, but it ended up being worth seven grand after, you know, eight, nine years. And I kept it a long time. Um, interestingly, if I still kept that car, it's still worth seven grand. So I, it's it bottomed out. But yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, you've got to kind of use that money wisely. And really, I would say a house is your best bet. Um, I would say investing in your health. You know, whether I, I, I like private health insurance, I think that's worth having. Uh, and then your family. Um, the other investments, I think, again, your balanced portfolio so that you've got some long-term investments some short-term investments, but also I think at your age, um, I'm sorry, I'm keeping sounding like you're really young and I'm really old. I don't mean to patronize, no, it's okay. but, no, it's all good. um, yeah, getting your, um, education, right. You know, just because you finished dental school, uh, you are not the whole article. I mean, I'm sure you've realized that over the years you know, go to the States, do spear panky coys, you know, you might have to spend 10, 20, 30, 40 grand, but it comes back to you. So I would rather you spend it on your education when you're younger. Um, and, and car is the last thing. And again, if you're living in an urban area, which I'm not sure if you are, James, but you don't really need a car, as you said. And, um, it's, it's quite punitive to have a car in the city nowadays. Well, this is it. I mean, I get by and sometimes I find my mind wandering a little bit and I think, oh, but wouldn't it be cool to have one? But then when I, mm. when I deconstruct, aside from that one reason where I just think, actually, it would just be a little bit cool, there is no real actual substance beyond that. And I do get by without it. And because of where I work, it actually takes just as long to drive there than it does to walk mm. and get the train. So there's no real practical reason in that sense. I have a little bit of an anecdotal story on this one in that I had a friend who he just got out of dental school, um, realized he was earning, got a really nice car on finance, okay? Uh, so no, he wasn't just quite out of dental school. He'd done his foundation year, 
first real job out in the real world. He got a lovely car, got it on finance, got a house, all the rest, had all these outgoings, but he had it worked out that he'd still have, you know, a spare, however much, couple of thousand every month, and he had a nice cushion there. And then things didn't really go to plan, fell out with his boss, couldn't work long term. And then it just became this financial noose around his neck, basically, because the, the finance was however much a month. It was, he couldn't really pass it on to anybody else to sell it. And it wound up that he was just working just pretty much to exist every week. And it didn't really, that maybe to me just kind of, it's where it made me a bit wary of that sort of scenario. And as I say, I just feel like the money that you invest while you're young, whether that be in education, whether that be in whatever, you really can reap dividends in the long run because of your age. And hence, that's why I've kind of leaned away from it a little bit too much. And there will be lots of people, I think, who are listening to this, who maybe will be will, will, will kind of benefit from hearing that because it is just something that a lot of people do when they get out of uni. And don't get me wrong, the temptation is still there for me, but I have to resist. After my, 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 uh, my heart says yes, but my mind says no. How can I say that? So when you were talking I about... Think go on. Sorry to interrupt, James. I think um, from your point of view, um, as an investment, first of all, you got to have a passion for it. If you haven't got a passion for it, then buy a watch or whatever your passion lies in. You know, you, you've got to. You'll always enjoy something that you enjoy, and you'll always benefit from something you enjoy because you have to put the time and effort into whether it's property or Bitcoin or whatever. So you have to have a passion for it. But let's say you did have a passion for it, which I think you have. If you bought that Hyundai sporty car you there is something in you that wants a little sporty car to run around so don't deny your urges you know there is something yeah. that is a nice feeling but also it might be that you know like my dad really got me into cars so there might be that actually the two of you together just buy an old classic it brings you together you work on it on the weekends keep it at your folks house and that brings you together and that's an investment in time for you two and also over time that will appreciate if you buy the right classic car uh, well, or the other thing is when we came out of uni, I wanted to buy a car straight away. And, you know, the Hyundai, the Toyota MR2s, uh, we, we were buying cars, but they weren't extravagantly, you know, out of our reach. And we still felt they were cool. The problem is we've had really good finance rates for the last five years, 10 years. And so now an £8,000 car isn't enough. We have to get an £80,000 car. So we've been duped into affordability by looking at the monthlies and not at the actual what are you actually paying off? This is it. Credit is so normalized these days. Mm. And uh, once upon a time, that wasn't the case. But I believe we were going to touch on that later. You were talking earlier about weighing up the pros and cons, the advantages and disadvantages of having a nice car. Now, I know that it's a status symbol. I know that, uh, yeah, there can be a pleasure to drive. Can you just talk a little bit more about your decision-making process on whether you're weighing up as to whether this car that you want is worth it, advantages and disadvantages? Um, really good question, James. I think England is a funny place. Uh, it's an island mentality and success, if you're on the only way is Essex for a footballer is acceptable, but success as a doctor or dentist somehow isn't as acceptable. So we have to kind of bear that in mind. You know, when I go to the States and the dentist, you know, turns up in his Lamborghini, everyone's like, oh, wow, well done. Oh, that's great. 
you turn up to your Lamborghini outside your practice and that's a certain type of practice, people are going to think you're overcharging or you're doing something wrong or you're corrupted or whatever. So unfortunately, we have to kind of bear that in mind that our sensibility in England is a little bit different. Um, so there is this thing that actually, if you want to be perceived as successful, you have to kind of look the part a little bit and there is a balance. So I had a friend of mine who's in property and he would just turn up everywhere in his little mini in a, you know, in a tracksuit. And I said, you're not going to get big deals like this because these million pound, 10 million pound deals, they expect you to turn up in something. Now, don't turn up in a Lambo, but he actually, on my recommendation, bought a Porsche Cayenne, changed his image a little bit. And he is now making Emporio Armani stores in, in London. And I'm not saying that's what it caused, but actually how he perceived himself generated the clients. Now, my clients at Neil Dentistry are reasonably affluent, well-to-do, and they don't mind me having a nice car. They probably don't want me having a Lambo outside, but they wouldn't mind, you know, something. And if I turned up in a banger, they'd be like, actually, Neil's not doing very well. I'm, how good actually is he? So I think there's part of that of actually is your own self-esteem and how other people perceive you. Um, the other thing is actually just by having a nice car, it does, it's like a passport to another world. So, I mean, I've got an Aston and I've had a Ferrari, uh, lucky enough, for a while. Um, and the people you meet through that, through the supercar clubs, through um, going to the garage, get, through going to events, getting flown to Geneva, going to Italy, they are priceless um, experiences. And from them, I've probably got 10, 15 clients, you know, who are spending X amount. So I'm not saying buy a car and get more clients, but... Give yourself the opportunity, whether it's a golf club that you like or a, a local group, but networking, you're, I mean, you know this as well, James, you're as good as the people around you and you'll, you'll get to that level. So whatever you want to achieve in life, whether it's health or whether it's mindfulness or whether it's 100 properties, hang around those people because they can walk the walk and talk the talk. And in an abstract way, I suppose it is an investment then. If you catch my drift, do you know what I mean? But it all yeah. depends on your circumstances and what line of work you're in. Yeah, you, you kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm nearly 50 this year. Well, I'm going to be 50 in April, so I'm not sure what we're doing. But, you know, as a 25-year-old, 35-year-old, you've still got your practice to buy, your house to buy. You know, don't think of trying to compete in these ways because we're at different levels of our lives. Um, so take the long-term view. You know, you might want to buy a flashy car, but, you know, put it within your limits and enjoy yeah. it for what it is. Um, and you'd be silly, as you said, overextending yourself. Like imagine if you'd just got a £2,000 lease a month and COVID hits you. You know, you, we, it's, it's taught us that we're never quite sure of what's around the corner. And unless you've got a couple of months of earnings in the bank, you know, you should save up and then invest the rest. That's when you should be talking about a car, not before that time. I heard a great saying along those lines the other day. It was, don't compare your chapter three to someone else's chapter 45. So what that means is you're all at different parts of your story. You'll I like in, that, yeah. You'll be in your first chapters and you're trying to compare yourself to someone who spent their whole life working, accumulating money and maybe has the spare cash to afford a car that is extremely luxury. And you cannot expect yourself to be at that level until you've spent that much time working and accumulating money. It's a bit like the concept, the, uh, the success iceberg as well. You see the top 10%, but you don't see the you know, 90% that's underneath it. Mm. Cars are, it's just another interesting way of looking at it 100%. And I personally, 
I feel like I want to just not enter that whole car arena until mm. I've got to the point where I am. Yeah, I've got more than enough money in the bank that I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, spending a little bit unnecessarily on that. When that point will be, we shall find out with time, I suppose. When we talked about credit earlier versus paying a car off, what do you look for in a good deal with regards to paying it all up front or with regards to splitting the cost and paying it back over many years? What's the decision-making process on that? Uh, well, it comes down to a, a few areas. So if it's a car that you can afford very easily, you know, you're talking five, 10, 15,000 pounds, the, the cheapest way is just to pay it off. You know, if you've got the money in the bank, done and dusted, don't, why pay interest unnecessarily? I, I think if it's affordable, I would pay it off. If it's a car that you're using as a white good, for example, a lot of people keep cars for three years. It's a family car. It's a commuting car. And then they'll move it on. They'll move it on. Uh, I wouldn't buy those cars. I would lease them. By the time you've bought them, tried to sell them, sold them back to the dealer, paid everything off. There's not much in it, really, because obviously depreciation is worse than the huge in the first year and doesn't level out till year three, four, five anyway. So I'm, I, you know, I lease a Tesla and it goes through the business. Um, benefit and kind is fantastic. And I know in three years, the Tesla will be redundant. The technology and the interface will be redundant. So me, that's a white good. It's not a passion. It's something I need. And it's a business expense. So I think if it's a lower amount, pay it off. If it's a commute, if it's a car that you're going to swap around every couple of years, lease it through the business and your accountant will obviously give you better advice than I can. But if it's a car that you love and you want to keep it, and that is the best way to have any car is to keep it a long, long time, then I would look for HP, put as much down as you feel is reasonable, maybe 10, 15%. Make sure that you've got a really good deal in terms of low interest rates and also the ability to get out of a deal if you need to settle early without penalties. And I think also just be wary of the balloons. Some dealers will put massive balloons at the end so that your affordability is high, but you might end up with negative equity. So just be careful, just be aware that it's got a guaranteed future residual value. And then really, once you pay that off, you can refinance or try and pay the car off within five, seven years, really and then keep that car for as long as possible. That's really the most cost-effective way. Fair enough. So a bit of a decision-making process, and maybe what's right for one person might necessarily be best for another, if I'm gathering that correctly. New or second-hand, what have you always went for? Do you have a preference? Sorry, James, just repeat that. I just said new or second-hand. What do you oh, new or second-hand. Uh, well, definitely, well, with leasing, it's new because you get the new car. And I've had a, quite a few new cars. Um, they're usually a bad idea because you will take the hit. But if it's a car that you absolutely love and you know you're going to keep it 10 years, pass it down to your children or um, it's a keeper, then you might want the, the pride or the ownership experience of having it from you. You accept you'll take the hit on it, but you have no in intention of losing it, of selling it on. So I've bought a new Aston, but I don't expect to sell it hopefully not for the next 10 20 years so i'm quite happy to ride out that residual and i'm fairly certain it'll come back up and go over what i paid for it anyway so i'm taking a long-term view but ideally you probably either want a one-year-old car which someone has hardly driven so it's as new that would be my immediate bet um 
And really the bottom of the depreciation curve is three to five years. So again, if you can find a really low mileage car, hasn't been used, one careful driver at the three-year mark, it's probably settling down to 50% of its value by then. Fair enough. Depreciation curve, just for anybody who's listening who isn't exactly clear on what that is, I'm guessing that's when the value is bottomed out over time, as what you said earlier. Yeah, well, what happens basically, as soon as you buy a car, you lose the VAT. So 20% drops as soon as you sign the document. In the first year, you will lose the biggest proportion of that three-year mark. Normally, about on an 80 grand car, you're probably losing 20 grand in the first year, let's say. The second year, you'll lose 15, and the third year, you'll lose 10. So an 80 grand will probably be about 40, is what the dealer will offer you, and then they'll put it back up for 55. Now, I'm just giving you an average because some cars yeah, hit course. the 60%, 60%, and some blow. I mean, the 60% holders are like McCann GTSs, Alpines, and there are a few cars that keep their value, but generally, you're always going to lose. Um, so you're better off buying at the bottom of the depreciation curve. The problem with that is if you get to like a Ferrari 430, which is probably at the bottom of its depreciation curve, or a Lambo Gallardo, which are about probably 60, 70, 80 now, they're probably not going to go down, but you're probably going to spend 10 grand a year maintaining insurance, something goes wrong. So what you gain in uh, loss of depreciation, you're going to have in running costs. And surely that doesn't... So that's... Oh, sorry, I thought you were finished. Go on. No, no, please, please, James. All I was going to say is surely that doesn't apply to... You know, the, we, t- we talk about these old cars from the 60s and 70s, like those Chevys, uh, you know, the real cruisers from the 60s, uh, from that kind of rock and roll era, era, they only go up in value because they get scarcer. Is it as simple as that or have I oversimplified it? Uh, scarcity is definitely a factor, but a desirability, you know, so if it wasn't really desirable in the first place, yeah. it would be quite a, it would have to be quite a cult following for these cars. Um, so all the 50, 60, 70 Cooper, you know, supercars, the Mayoras, the Countaches, um, you know, the, uh, the old Ferraris, they're, they're all massive values. I mean, they're well within most, you know, well out of most of our ranges, you know, at the half a million to 10 million value. So I think what, if you were looking for one of these older cars, look for something that maybe you had when you, as a child or in your teenage, what did you have as a poster car? So, um, what year were you 15, James? I'm trying to work out the years. What year was I born? Yeah, when, when were you 15? What year oh, were what you year 15, was I 15 to 20? Sorry. Uh, so I would have been um, 2006. I would have been 15. Okay, so 2006. If you think of, okay, what are the supercars? What were the Porsches, the Ferraris? Uh, what did you have on your poster? What did you go and I, I played look a lot at? of Gran Turismo. So I think yeah. I had, uh, you know, Dirty Harry's car, the Dodge Charger. I thought that was yeah. the coolest car, but it wasn't really from my generation. So I might no. be very representative of other 15-year-olds. But let me think. Um, it would have been... that. Oh, you know what was a cool car? Uh, for anybody who played Need for Speed on the PlayStation 2, I hope that's not too obscure a reference. You know the, you know the Skyline, the Nissan Skyline? Mm. That was a really cool contemporary car from that era. Or the Toyota Supra. I always thought they were awesome. Mm. They were real-wheel drive as well, and they were... They were pretty powerful cars, cars. So I can imagine those might be the sort of uh, along the lines of what you're talking about. You know, in years to come, people from my generation who are 40 and 50 got a bit of spare cash and they want something that's got the nostalgia factor. Those might be those sorts of cars that you mean. 
Absolutely. Well, I'm just looking on fourstarclassics.com, which is a, sort of an 80s, 90s onwards kind of supercar or normal cars. Yeah. And they're these old, old cars that you wouldn't have thought so in immaculate condition. And there's, they're, you know, 20, 30, 40, they're above list what they were in the first place. So I'm just looking at a Subaru, talking about Sega Rally. Uh, a nice Subaru um, Prezza can be 20 to 100 grand plus. Oh, there you go. There is the perfect poster boy car from my generation, actually, now that you mentioned it. My friends it. like, and they're not, they might be worth five, 10 grand now, but actually, if you find a good one, they might be uh, a good niche car to look at. You're absolutely um, right. Having said that, you know what? That is exactly the car that was the zenith of coolness when I was that age. You're absolutely right. So I think that that's going to be one that might be, uh, yeah, you know, uh, kind of appreciate in value as the years go by. I, do, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I think, I think generally, if you're going to look for what goes up, it's sports cars. So there's, there's a few hatches that go up. There's a few saloons that go up. But if you're looking for something to keep, yeah. I would get a, 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 two, a two-seater, for my sake, I like convertibles, but they're really the keepers. Um, Supras are, are still doing well, but a lot of them have been tuned. There's very few that have been unadorned. But again, uh, an original one of those would do really well. Um, so yeah, you kind of want a car that's been looked after, not messed around with, not repainted, has provenance. Uh, and the future classics are still there to be made. And I was kind of concerned with, just sidestepping a little bit, are youngsters, you know, the eight, nine-year-olds going to like cars in the future? Because, you know, we're all becoming electric, electric cars, just hard to invoke the passion without the noise. And I thought these guys aren't going to like cars. Maybe the whole value in 20, 30 years is going to go. Yeah. But when I see my nurse's children and they, you know, and they go to car garages and they'll go to um, Goodwood, they, they absolutely love it. There's something innate in that car or in that expression of freedom or power or, um, you know, I think freedom when you're a teenager is your car, isn't it? Maybe, might be your two pass now, but I think cars are going to be there. And I think there are future classics to be had, but you, you've got to just buy with a long-term in view, I think. Yeah, fair enough. One tiny thing I'll just throw on top of that. From most sort of investing from the point of view in trying to kind of predict what will be trendy in years to come, that would be inherently hard because in human human nature is also inherently hard to predict, I'm going to say as well. So we just have to throw that into the ring too. Uh, from what I know about the art world, uh, those big art investors, they basically just buy so many pieces of art. They don't know which one is going to do well, but it's the two or three that do do well that are worth millions that bring up the average for everything else. And they might have, you know, 997 that are just, you know, not really worth that much. And to me, from uh, you'll know more about it than me. But to me, because cars, it's one of those things that it's it will just be what we look back and what we considered to be cool at the time, not even necessarily what was cool at the time. Uh, in the same vein as older movies, like the Shawshank Redemption, that got terrible reviews when it came out, and now it's one of the all-time classics. I'm gonna guess Cars is maybe something slightly similar to that. No, um... to a degree. I think it'd be nice to have a poll on that, actually. So I, I, don't, I couldn't answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. The, what I would say, though, is uh, don't buy for speculation. Buy something you love. Because yeah. the worst-case scenario, you have 20, 30 years of joyful motoring, and, and that's a reward and an investment in itself. And it will, I'm sure it will go up. might not go up huge amounts. It might go up a little. 
But you buy in the right car, keeping it a long time, you buy something you love, you know, any even a Mazda MX-5 at seven grand gives you so much pleasure. It's the freedom, the wind in your hair. And those Mazda MX-5s, again, aren't depreciating and they're not expensive. Yeah. So you don't have to spend loads. Just buy something you like and don't worry too much about what other people think. Just buy what you like. Uh, I like some very quirky cars and, uh, you know, and I'm considering buying them. They're not expensive. Um, but I would have one just to enjoy and it, and it would probably stay the same or go up because there's a, a niche car, um, like a Nissan Figaro. I'm sure I'm going to get hated for that, but I quite like these kind of weird cars and, and I think they'll be okay. And, you know, in any motor show that you go along to in the future, you take your car along, it'll always be a little weird little niche car. Yeah. So I think, again, it's about buying something you enjoy. What the other market we haven't really talked about, James, is probably the, the flipping market and the, you know, getting getting your name down. And that was a huge thing probably last five years where, you know, we were talking about relationships with dealers. If you were lucky enough to have bought 10 cars from Porsche, et cetera, at the, at the right cars and sold them back to them, they might feel that you were lucky enough to buy a, something like a GT3 RS, GT2 RS from them. And you could flip those cars. The problem is you, you're spending so much money with them to get those cars you're almost worth just paying the premium and getting one if you really want one yourself but that's another way to do it that market has gone but it's still there for ferrari and porsche so let's say you love porsche again get a find a porsche dealer who you can build a relationship with although it is hard with porsche because they really do come and go i don't think their dealer network is great and i've been to seven or eight of them but again if you've got a good porsche guy Start buying a Cayman or a Boxster or a Cayenne or a McCann and build up that relationship over the years so that when the cars come out that are desirable, you know, you can get them. And I think Porsche somehow, considering they're an SUV maker, they've still created a lot of desirability for their sports cars. So I think Porsche is a good brand to get into. And I think Ferrari is a good brand to get into, obviously, a lot more difficult. Uh, and possibly Aston as well with the F1 cars coming out as well. They're still an underdog, really, in terms of desirability and what they make. Uh, Ferrari and Porsche are still up there. But again, if you like those cars, start off small and build a relationship with a dealer so that you can maybe in 10 years get these cars that are the flip cars, that are the desirable cars. What about limited run and special editions then? Surely they represent a bit more of an investment. They're more, more viable because they're scarce and there's only so many of them. Um, I think, again, it depends. They're easier to sell, definitely. So if you'd bought one of the Aston Special Edition cars and they make Carbon Editions, a Bond Edition or whatever, uh, when people are buying their cars and there's 10 cars to sell for sale, yours will sell quicker. So I think Special Editions will do well in that way. And again, it depends on how many were made. Is it one of 10? Is it one of 1,000? McLaren are doing a lot of Special Editions and there are lots of, lots of them. So again... Maybe if you had an F1, that'd be a great car, limited edition. But maybe the uh, 600 LT, they made too many of them. They made maybe, I think, 500 or 750 coupes and 250 spiders or whatever. Too many for the market. Uh, but again, I think they've bottomed out. So special edition is definitely worth going for. Um, but it really is a matter of how special, how limited. The other thing that I would say as well, with the finance, as we said earlier, you pertain to that finance is a much easier thing to get into. Uh, one of my groups I'm lucky enough to be in is, is full of very, very wealthy, much wealthier than I am, 
you know, supercar owners. I'm just in there as a, a low end. And these cars, they, they've moved up a level and it's now the hypercar that they want. Before where you'd have a, a special edition of like a, um, a, a 458 or a Vantage or a 911, they want the hypercar because everyone can buy a 200, 300 gram car, not everybody, but it's, it's getting affordable. Uh, whereas before you'd have to have the cash to put down. So actually the cars that are really doing well, and again, they're out to our markets, are the LaFerraris, the Koenigseggs, the Paganis um, that have really gone up into millions. Um, but again, not an easy market to get into, but that's created from that easy accessibility to finance, which has made the big fish have to go higher. Yeah, well, interesting one is that. Where do you think electric cars are at in terms of their comparativeness to petrol cars in terms of mileage, in terms of an investment, et cetera, et cetera? Have they reached that level where they're comparable just yet? Short answer, no, no. but I do love electric cars. <laughs> you know, uh, we were saying earlier that it's very hard to be passionate about electric cars because of the noise and the feel. Yeah. And that's true. It's never a long-term love relationship. You know, we love our cars. We're, they're like family members sometimes, but electric cars don't invoke that passion, but you love them because of a couple of things. The, the lack of noise is really civilized. The acceleration is phenomenal. That can get boring, but it's still great fun. Um, and the efficiency of not having to go to petrol stations, touch hydrocarbons, you know, all I got to do is plug it in like my iPhone at the end of the day. So I do think they're fantastic. I've had an i3, which I absolutely love in town. And it was just so good nipping off at the lights, going past M3s, getting into the right lane that I needed to. So it's very efficient for town use. And really, the only car I'd really recommend for an electric car is, what I, is a Tesla. Um, they have got the best supercharger network by far. Having had the i3 and having trouble with charging on longer journeys, mm. the Tesla has been a revelation. And really, no one's at their level yet in terms of speed of charging and the range. And in the new Tesla Model S, I think, has a 500-mile range. Wow. So what is that? Speed? I know. What is that charging time then? Because I know that they've mm-hmm. they've they've got the quick charge and then they've got the longer charge, and the quick charge offers a compromise in terms of capacity, something like that. Well, generally, if you plug it in on a three pin, if I plug the Tesla in just to the normal wall socket, it'll take about four days to charge. Really? So wow. Yeah. So that's not good. The pod points on the home chargers, they will give you about 250 miles range in about seven hours. Okay. And the motorways, uh, you'll probably get about 150 miles in about 30, 40 minutes. Okay. And at the Tesla supercharger, that's probably in about 15 minutes. So um, you basically, if one, I park your car, go and have a coffee, come back. I've got plenty enough for the rest of my journey. Yeah, 15, so, 15 minutes for a full charge then? Uh, not a full, but it would give me probably another 150 miles, which would be enough. And the new Porsche Taycan has an amazing supercharging lithium type battery, which is minutes, but there's not many of those charges around, but they're coming. Um, Look, we're, we're all going to have to have electric cars. It's the way it's headed, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, I still think there's a lot of merit in petrol hybrids and the petrol engine isn't very efficient. There's a long way to go with that. Uh, so hopefully, and I think Porsche making a synthetic fuel, which I think is a great idea as well. So 
I think electric cars make a lot of sense if it suits your lifestyle, if you can charge it at home, if you're not doing huge commutes, uh, and whether you believe the environment. I mean, I love not having the smog and all those kind of things. If you go to Delhi, you see what electric cars could do there would be fantastic. In terms of investments, uh, none of them are investments, but one thing I'd like to buy, if I could or consider, was the original Tesla Roadster. Um, it was based on a Lotus, and really, it wasn't brilliant, but it was the first Tesla, and Tesla had such a huge brand value globally. I remember when they first showed their first car at Salon Privé, and nobody knew who they were. So I think that could be a keeper or an interesting piece for a long period of time. They're probably 50 to 80 grand. Yeah. It was the first, um, right? It was the first uh, mass market electric roadster, I believe, wasn't it? It wasn't really mass market. It, uh, yeah, it was probably the first roadster. There were some little city cars that could get up hills before then. Um, but the problem with a Tesla is if you need a new battery, it's 15 grand. So wow. there is a maintenance aspect. But I, I kind of think as a punt, maybe even in left hand drive, maybe if you lived in Silicon Valley, uh, or live, you know, I think a Tesla Roadster might be an, might be the only electric car I'd keep for a long term. Yeah, because even if it wasn't quite the first, I think it's the one that a lot of people think was one of the first, or it was mm. definitely marketed in that way. So it has that association. When you mention about Lotus, are they still around? I remember they used to yeah, have, the, they used to have a Formula One team. I used to love that car, the Elise. I mean, all I mean, Lotus is doing. Well, they've been, I think they've been bought out by a Chinese company. I'm not sure if it's Geely. I'd have to ask Zaid. But um, Lotus, you know, have um, done really well in their niche, which is very light, brilliant handling sports cars. And, you know, a lot of the engineers, I mean, Aston nicked one of their chief engineers because everyone knows if you want handling, go to Lotus. Um, they're a brilliant car. They're not going to make too many of the old school anymore. So, again, an Exige or something would be a keeper. If you like, if you're very much into track cars, they're the ones to get day in, day out. Uh, but the new ones are looking, I mean, they made a two million pound electric one and they're probably going to be going electric sports car way, I think. Same with Alpine. I think Alpine is going to go electric sports car way. Uh, but no, Lotus, uh, really, it's a shame. I think they should be much bigger than they are. They should be at the Aston Martin range because, I mean, I grew up with the Bond as free cars and, you know, uh, the Lotus Etna as a concept car. I really wish they'd, had the investment a long time ago, but they're, they're still quite niche. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, James, uh, another interesting thing to think about is car registration plates. Um, I made a mistake again in 1997. I could have bought NEE1, which would have suited my name, and it was £6,000. And I thought, that's a lot of money for just some numbers. You know, it's just an ego thing. I don't really need it. And that plate's probably worth 80, 90 maybe six figures now. So that market has kind of gone, but it is always worth looking at the new car reg. They release them every couple of months. Yeah. And what I try and do, which is if I know a future car is coming with a model number or something, uh, I'll try and see if I can find those car registrations that haven't been released, but may be pertinent to a future car or something that's gone under the radar. And common names work really well, though numbers work well. So, you know, it's human nature that we like to put our names on things, you know. Uh, so I think car registration plates, uh, buy, buy one, you know, under a grand that suits you. And uh, if you get the right one, I think that's a keeper as well. 
I did see a Range Rover not that long ago, maybe about six months ago, and the registration was Laura, except the A was replaced with a four. And I thought to myself, that is pretty much, that's not quite the original Laura, but it's not far off. And surely that might be worth more than the Range Rover itself. So yeah, in terms of an investment, uh, well, if you say there were, you know, five fig- or four figures, as you said, however many years ago, um, I can imagine there are about five now, and that's surely a solid one. But again, it's just getting the right one, which is a bit of a, a skill in an art form, I suppose. Neil, you've done a brilliant job of describing the ins and outs of what we have to be conscious of when we're buying cars. If someone was just tuning in for the last five minutes and you had to summarize everything you said really succinctly and they were thinking about buying a new car and they were a dentist as well, how would you summarize that? Uh, I would say, again, don't get too involved in the hype don't get too excited take a long-term view develop a relationship with a dealer buy what you like fundamentally at least you enjoy it keep it a long time pay it off reasonably quickly drive it enough to enjoy don't just leave it in the garage um, and keep it cared and maintained and that car will give you so much pleasure give you so much opportunity uh you it'll be the first car you pick your little kid up from taken to school, all the memories that are in there and it should reward you in the long term with the financial return. Uh, but don't do it at the sake of pushing yourself beyond your limits. There's no need to do that. Don't get involved with the hype. Awesome. Short and sweet. Neil, you spoke earlier as well about your other interest outside of dentistry and that is indemnity. Would you like to just talk a little bit more about that and how you help us dentists get indemnified? Well, uh, thanks, James. Thanks for mentioning that. Yes, um, I mean, Turbine was there to help dentists and PDI, which is Professional Dental Indemnity, is pretty much down to my own frustration with my own provider of how poor they were and how people we were suffering with the GDC and things. So I wanted to make a change. And luckily, I met the right people. And we've got some great products now and some more stuff coming. So really happy to talk to anybody about indemnity, even if they're not looking to change, but they just want to be better educated about the decisions please give me a call. It's neil at professionaldentalindemnity.co.uk or um, you can message me on Facebook. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Neil. That was a really informative episode and not something that we would traditionally think of when we first think of the word investing, I guess, but definitely really important. Thank you so much for giving up your spare time to come and talk to us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you again so much for having me. And it's uh, quite an interesting topic. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, Neil. I'll let you get on with your day. Absolute pleasure. And we'll speak very soon, I hope. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.